All right, tonight is an exciting night as we begin a study of Paul's letter to the saints in Galatia. So open your Bible, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. My intent is to spend the next several months, probably possibly years, studying through Paul's letters to the churches, the four church epistles that we have in the Scriptures, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We've already studied through Colossians, so maybe at the end, what quite possibly we will return and once again revisit that book. But for now, I want to begin with the book of Galatians and then walk us through those other books as well. And Paul wrote these letters, as you know, just by way of introduction, to the churches of these regions and of these places, of course, as we know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in order to address critical issues that were happening at the time within Christendom as these churches were exercising their faith and living in the time in which they were living and being a church in the regions in which they were. And the issue creeping into Christendom and to the churches of the region of Galatia at the time that Paul wrote was the danger of redefining the doctrine of justification. Redefining the doctrine of justification. In other words, as the gospel began to be preached in the Gentile region known and named as Galatia, it was named that by the Romans, they were in control and in power in the world at the time. As the gospel was being preached and as Gentiles began to profess faith in Jesus Christ, those who were Jews began to raise the question about Gentile believers and their relationship uh, between them and the law of Moses. So the Jews were raising questions about these Gentile believers and their relationship as they related to the law of Moses. And you say, well, in what way? Or what was exactly troubling to these Jewish believers? Well, what was troubling to them is that if the Galatia, or if the Gentiles, I should say, were to be among the people of the covenant people of God, as the Old Testament called Israel, shouldn't they also have to carry around in their physical bodies the marks of the covenant? Shouldn't they as believers, as those who believe upon Jesus Christ, shouldn't they, in order to be part of the people of God, carry around in their bodies the whole mark of the covenant, which was to be circumcised, for males to be circumcised? In other words, if justification before God is by faith alone, or is it that way, or is there an outward act that has to accompany it? In other words, to be in right standing with God, to be justified before God, is it by faith in Jesus Christ alone, as the gospel would declare, or is there something that needed to be added to it? Is there something that needs to be accompanying it. We might even ask the question this way. If salvation is for all, then is faith in Jesus Christ sufficient to do that? Is faith in Jesus Christ sufficient to accomplish that? Or is there some outward act that needs 
to be done in order to complete justification, to complete your entire salvation. It was clear that the Apostle Paul preached a pure gospel message. He preached salvation is by faith in Christ alone. In fact, he will even declare to the believers in Galatia as we go through our study, you'll notice that he declares that if he or even a supernatural being from heaven comes and preaches something else other than the gospel than the one that he has already preached to them, which was a salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, then if they preach something different, then they should be considered cursed. They should be considered a false teacher. He says that in verse 8. Even if though we or an angel from heaven should preach the gospel to you contrary to that which we've preached to you, then let them be accursed. In other words, there was no thought of justification by keeping some kind of law, by keeping some kind of duty in Paul's gospel message. There was no faith plus idea in the message of Paul. The law only could condemn you. The law only could reveal to you what sin in your life was. But on the cross, Christ bore the condemnation for those sins. And therefore, if you believe, you are saved. But word had gotten now to Paul that some of those whom Paul had preached to and some who had placed their faith in Christ we're turning back to a justification based upon works. A justification that added activity as an outward act to faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Why was that happening? Well, because false teachers had come in to the church and they were known as Judaizers, that's the official name for them, and they preached that faith in Christ was insufficient for justification, that it wasn't enough, that those who believed in Christ certainly needed also to be circumcised. They needed also to have the sign of the covenant to keep the law in order to be justified. So they said, not only are you not saved without works, but they were also saying that the message that Paul preached or Paul's gospel was in fact a false gospel. So the letter of Galatians is really an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ through an attack on the Apostle Paul. And the attack against justification, the doctrine of justification by faith alone through the message of the gospel of the Apostle Paul was really threefold, as we will see as we go through this gospel. I'll just list out where the attacks came for the Apostle Paul. First was they attacked Paul directly. They attacked, they attacked Paul directly. We'll see a little of that tonight in just a little moment. But they would, how would they do that? Well, they would undermine Paul's authority as an apostle. And if they could undermine his authority as an apostle, then they could at the same time destroy his message. In other words, if Paul wasn't authentic, then the message he was preaching must also not be authentic. That was the gist of their attack. Since Paul was not in their minds an original or of the original 12 apostles that were sent out by the risen Lord, then even though he was well-meaning, even though he was a a kind man and a well-meaning teacher in his message, it had no 
validation. It, it had no actuality. It, it was only something of his own mind. And if you want to know the true gospel, then you have to look to the 12 original apostles and to their message. And that's really what Paul begins to address in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians. Second attack comes this way. They attack the gospel itself by saying that it was insufficient. Well, the first two chapters, they're attacking Paul, and Paul is really defending himself as he defends the gospel through the defense of himself. Secondly, they attack the gospel itself that it was insufficient. In other words, it didn't go far enough. It left out the law, as will be their attack. It didn't consider the law the Old Testament law, and so it must be invalid. And therefore, who was Paul to set that aside? Even Jesus, they will say, observed the law. And Paul answers that attack in chapters 3 and 4. But the gospel is authentic, and this is exactly what was preached by our Savior. And then third, they attacked Christian freedom in Christ that we have freedom in Christ, they attack that by saying that keeping the law was necessary for the good life. In other words, life as a Christian without keeping the law only would lead to immorality. It's what some would say today, even in evangelicalism, that if you don't, if you don't adhere to some kind of, of legalism when it comes to the Scriptures, surely people are going to have license to just do whatever they want. And that was the idea. It would only lead to immorality. It would lead to all kinds of sinful excesses if you don't have the law. And then Paul begins to answer that in chapters 5 and 6 by showing that a spirit-filled life is what God desires, and he delineates what that looks like, what a spirit-filled life looks like. So if we were to take Galatians as a whole and just kind of divide it up into those three attacks and the categories of that, you might say that chapters 1 and 2 are historical, chapters 2 and 3 are doctrinal, and then chapters 5 and 6 are practical. So you have historical background that Paul's an apostle, the gospel is what he preached. You have this doctrinal teaching that goes through exactly what the gospel is and that it is sufficient, and then you have the practical way in which that is to be practiced in life. Now I've entitled this message, and probably potentially, as you know me, for some time to come, the freedom and power to finish well. The freedom and power to finish well. Why? Why would I title it like that? Because it's easy to be a Pharisee. It's easy to be a Pharisee, even as a Christian, particularly as a Christian. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. The Pharisees were those who were around during the days of Christ, ministry on the earth, and they were very religious people. Very religious people. If you looked at the Pharisees, they carried out the rituals. They did what was ritualistically religious. They would have been those people who you saw going to church. They were those who flocked to the church when the church was open, the synagogue, and they did it regularly. They knew what the Old Testament said. They knew what the Bible said. They lived different than those around them. Their lives were modified and different from from just the normal everyday person that was around them. They were known as the spiritual people. But there was something wrong 
something wrong. What was it? God was not actually in their hearts by faith. Right? They lived by their ritual rather than by relationship. That's a Pharisee. Living by ritual rather than by relationships. In other words, to, to take it back to the beginning where we started about the doctrine of justification, justification for a Pharisee, or for one who thinks like a Pharisee, justification is by doing rather than by faith. That's, what, that's how Phariseeism thinks. That's how it, it's manifest in its outworking. Justification by works rather than by faith. They had actually made sanctification, the outworking of walking by faith or obedience, they had made that the means of justification. That if I walk by obedience, if I do the things that I'm called to do, then I am justified. So if they were doing according to the law, then they believed they would be or were saved. And so the Pharisees were hypocrites because they believed that what God would ultimately do for them was based upon what they would do for God. So what would they do? They would read the Bible, the Torah. They knew the Torah better than most people. They would give. They would pray. They would even keep the Sabbath with exactness, according to the law. Why? Because their salvation depended upon it. Now, Pharisees weren't saved. They weren't saved. They they had gotten justification wrong from the very beginning. They began thinking that justification was by how they lived, how they acted. They got it wrong from the very start. But the people to whom Paul is writing were professed believers. The people of Galatia are professed believers. They had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They had heard that justification was by faith alone, and they believed that. They believed in Jesus for justification. But the reality is Christianity isn't easy. Living the Christian life is not easy. All of us could attest that. If we sat here tonight and asked for testimonies about the struggle of everyday Christian living in your workplace, in your home, between family and friends, you would say it's not easy. It's difficult to live out all the things that God has asked us to live and to constantly be walking by faith. Why? Because the flesh is always tempting us to sin. Always. The flesh is always there tempting us to sin. And very often, we do sin. As Christians, we sin and we find it hard at times to gain victory over sinful practices and godless habits. And the more we read the Bible, the more we are convicted about sin. And we look at the Scriptures and conviction hits us and we know what our life is like and we read the Scriptures and we go, okay, I know I need to be living like this and I know Christ has saved me, but it's hard. I, I, I can't do it. The more I'm convicted about my sin, the more my flesh is tempting me to go the other direction. And just like a Pharisee, I begin sometimes to think I have to do something in order to be justified before God. And after all, 
how could God accept me in the state in which sometimes I live? How can God really accept me knowing what I know about myself and the sinful state that I am in sometimes? So the question comes, what do we do? What do we do when we've made a mess of our lives as a believer? When we speak harshly to loved ones, what do we do? When that's our habit and we can't seem to break free of that. When we're always tempted to respond in that kind of way, what, what do we do about that? When we betray those who are closest to us and, and we know we shouldn't have, we're convicted about that. We read the Word of God, it convicts our hearts and we go, but I do that. How can God love me? What do we do when we alienate friends and even co-workers because of our ungodliness? How do we respond when we drift away from the faith and we compromise the gospel? If you're like most of us, you just want to hide. You just want to hide. We just want to hide our sin and we want to hide ourselves. Why? Because that's the natural response of the flesh. To hide, to readjust, to redefine, to start changing our theology and changing what it means by what it says. And when we sin, that's what we want to do. We want to hide. We're just like our first parents in the garden. We're not far removed from them. We're just like them. And no doubt, that would have been the collective sense of the Galatian believers when they read Paul's letter for the first time. This is, this is a severe letter. This is a very direct letter. They would have wanted to hide when they read this for the first time. They, they would have wanted to say, let me out of here. How, how do we get out of this place? How, how do we get out of this scrutinizing light? And so by rationalizing our sin through redefining God's grace, by saying that we have freedom and we don't need any of that kind of rules upon us, by redefining justification by keeping the law, that's how we hide. That's how we hide. So the Apostle Paul is rather shocked at what's happening with them. Notice what he says in verse 6, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I'm rather shocked. Over in chapter 3 in verse 1, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Who's altered your thinking about what you knew, what you was true? Why, why do you want to change? Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. And Paul is shocked. I mean, this is, this is shocking reality. Here are people who profess Jesus Christ and who are at the verge of not finishing well. They're at the verge of going back. They're at the verge of turning their back on things they have believed. And the end result's going to be, if they keep on that path, they would not finish well. Chapter 5, verse 4, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. They wouldn't finish well. 
There would be no finishing well. It's sad to me in our evangelical world over the last several years, we have seen several people in evangelicalism not finish well. Those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ have turned their back on things that they knew to be true and right, and yet they have not finished well. So this is a serious situation. In fact, nothing is more serious, and Paul knew it. And what I want us to notice tonight, what I want us to notice tonight is where Paul begins to help remedy the situation. Where Paul begins to help remedy the problem. He doesn't do like so many might do today as they hear of someone like this or read of someone like this and they pull out their phone and they get on their Twitter feeds and they get on their Facebook posts in order to shame them in a public square. He doesn't do that. Why? Because Paul knows that the only help will come from understanding what they have forgotten. Help begins by understanding what they have forgotten. What's that? They have forgotten true grace. They have forgotten true grace. Notice what he says in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to stop right there for a moment because you may have made a mess of things in your own life by your own tempting of sin. And you may have sought a way out through some kind of human effort. And you're failing. It's not working. It's not helping. Why? Because the only way out is the gospel. The only way out is the gospel. The way out is to truly embrace the good news that Jesus Christ has already done everything we need for our salvation. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to try to gain some kind of a justification by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing all this kind of stuff that that might try to impress God so that God would, in fact, in some way in our minds, because we've redefined Him, love us again. No, we have to go back to the gospel and know that Christ has done everything we need for our salvation. And if we would just trust Him, if we would reject our own righteousness and embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, then we would find freedom from our desire to be a Pharisee. So some of us find ourselves just where the Galatian believers were. They believed the gospel. But we find that living the Christian life isn't what we expected it to be. It's not what we thought. And so we're tempted to wonder if maybe we just missed something. Maybe we just missed something. Maybe maybe since my life is like this, I mean, I believe God, but it seems like I struggle so much. It seems like I can't have victory over these things. It seems like it's so difficult, and maybe, maybe I just missed something. That's just where the believers in Galatia were in their own minds, which is why Paul begins this letter with a message of grace. None of that message will be heard, though. None of this message of grace is going to be heard by the Galatian believers if Paul isn't a legitimate messenger. And so that's where he begins. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, 
not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul's not being insecure in his own ministry. Paul, Paul certainly knows what he is. He, he needs to reiterate this to them, right? That, that's what he needs to do. That's certainly the case here. He has no desire to simply please men or appease men. We know that because in verse 10 he says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? See, I'm not striving to please men. If I were striving to please men, I, would not, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul even says that kind of accusation would be an oxymoron to who he is. He, he's not doing that. No, he's simply reaffirming the legitimacy of the gospel that he preached by answering the first attack. If Paul can be made illegitimate, then Paul's message is illegitimate. So if he's not a legitimate apostle, then his gospel is false. And so this is why he reasserts his God-given commission. This is why he says, Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. And so this is just the beginning. This is just the start of his defense, and it won't end until the end of chapter 2. Much like the whole book of 2 Corinthians. Paul doesn't ever want to do this. This is foolishness to him to have to try to defend himself to those whom he has preached the gospel to. But sometimes he finds it necessary to do that in order to establish the validity and veracity of what he needs to say. And so Paul says, not only am I legit, but the gospel I preached is legit. And also those who stand with me, their gospel is legit, right? Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me, right? I'm writing, and I have authority from God to say what I'm saying and to do what I'm doing, and I'm saying the same thing that all the brethren from all the places who are with me say. So I'm not a lone ranger, as some are hearing people say about me, I'm not doing that on my own. I have been appointed by God. And the very gospel I preach is the same gospel that others preached. And it's the gospel that you have believed unto salvation. You say, so what's Paul saying? Well, he's saying, hey, listen, Galatians. Listen, you who want to not finish well, who want to go backwards in this reality of justification. Listen, Contrary to what you might be hearing, I am a true agent of God's grace. Contrary to what you think about me, that's false. I am legitimate. Paul is a legitimate agent of God's grace. And yet, that's not enough to convince anyone of the veracity of the gospel. Paul's legitimate. It's true. He can prove that. And yet, that's not enough. It's true but it's not adequate. And so Paul secondly says that the gospel I preached is sufficient. Notice what he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. 
You can stop there. Paul understands, and Paul knows of the grace of God. And Paul understands that to know of grace is not enough. To know of grace, that's not enough. You can say, well, God is a God of grace, and I know of His grace, but that's not enough. You need to know the grace found through Christ, that that grace is sufficient to bring you out of your hiding place. Sinful temptation is real. We're all tempted by our sin. It's lurking. Sin is always there lurking all the time. Sometimes it comes in by means of our own thinking. Sometimes by means of bad teaching we hear. That bad teaching comes in all kinds of ways. It comes through books. It comes through radio programs. It comes through someone teaching who misunderstands a biblical truth. We begin to be drawn into sin. We can't seem to break free of. It's tiresome. It's destructive if it continues. Why? Because sin is a godless power. And even though by faith in Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin is removed, that does not mean that the daily effects of sin have been removed. Right? Sin's effects live on. Sin's effects are there. And those after effects can affect us. We can begin to wonder, is there actually a way to break free? Is there actually a way to overcome? Paul says, yes, yes there is. Yes, there is, Galatians. Yes, there is. You, do, you don't have to go backwards. Yes, there is a way to break free, but it's, through, it's not through your efforts. It's not through your efforts to be righteous. You can't be that. Freedom has been given already, and it's been given through the cross work of Jesus Christ. Let me just read verse 4 again. Right, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins. Why? So that He might deliver us out of the present evil age. Listen, freedom from sin, freedom from this present evil age comes only one way. It doesn't come through your actions doesn't come through your efforts. doesn't come through us going through all the rituals. It comes one way. It comes by the grace showered upon us through the cross work of Jesus Christ. He delivered us. That's why He went to the cross. He gave Himself for our sins so that He might deliver us. You know what that word deliver means? It's, it's the word rescue. Some of your translations might even say rescue. The word really means to to snatch away, to snatch out of, to completely take away from. Paul's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to undermine this fundamental fact. Don't allow yourself, even in your sinfulness, to undermine the reality that Christ gave himself for your sin. Christ died for that sin. In other words, it's the death of Christ alone that explains the presence of any kind of grace in our lives. And it is the death of Christ that has accomplished, once and for all, our justification. 
It is the death of Christ that does that. And it is the death of Jesus Christ that has opened the door for our daily sanctification, which leads us all the way to glorification. So what is Paul reminding the Galatian believers of? What's he reminding us of? Where does Paul start? He's reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them that they need to preach the gospel to themselves every day. Not in order that they might be saved again. We're only saved once. We're saved when we place faith in Jesus Christ, but we need to remind ourselves what God did for us by His grace through the death of Jesus Christ. He gave Himself so that He might deliver us out of this present evil age, away from the patterns and power of sin, away from those things that so easily entangle us. It is according to the will of God, who is our God and our Father. You see, we need to remind ourselves every day what the gospel is. We need to remind ourselves every day what it says, what it has accomplished. The gospel is made up of really two great events. To boil it all down, it's really made up of, of two great events, the death of Jesus Christ and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. What has Jesus done? He has rescued us from this present evil world. How? By His death, burial, and resurrection. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. What was it? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. That's the Gospel. Paul says, I, I need to remind you of the Gospel. That's what he's saying to the Galatians. I, I, we need to begin back at the beginning. We need to go back to the very beginning. I need to remind you of the Gospel. This Jesus that I preached was no ordinary person. He was no ordinary man. He died to rescue, to tear us away from the penalty and power of sin. And God raised him from the dead because that was accomplished. It was through Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? Listen, saying, listen, Galatians, I, I, I'm, I'm as legitimate as the rest of the apostles. Why? Because I also saw the risen Lord. I also saw the risen Lord. And the gospel that I teach is legitimate because the very one who was raised from the dead is the very one who voluntarily gave himself for our sin in order to rescue us from our sin. Jesus Christ became the substitute sin offering. gathered up all our sin, accounted them to His own life, paid for them by His death. And because of His sacrifice, God the Father could forgive us because of His perfect justice was satisfied in Christ. So Paul says, listen, Galatians, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Christ 
Remember this, He's the one who gave Himself for our sins that He might tear us away from this present evil age. We're not part of it. It's not who we are. The effect of that reality is that we have been justified. That rescuing from the present evil age through Jesus Christ has brought justification. And therefore, even though we continue to live in this evil realm, we have been rescued from its powerful grip upon us. Therefore, in Christ, we have the power by means of the Spirit given to us to no longer live as we once did without Christ. Now we can live in honor to God because of Christ. You don't need anything else. You don't need a sign. You have Christ. When we sin, we don't need to hide. We don't need to hide from God. We don't need to wonder, gee, I wonder if God loves me. No, when we disobey, we don't need to go away from the light as we often do. We don't need to succumb to the temptation that God must not love us anymore. Begin to doubt whether we truly are saved. Doubt whether there's any hope for us. No. You know what we need to do? Just run to Christ. Run to Christ. Remind ourselves of the gospel of grace that freed us from the present evil age. We need to remember that Christ has rescued us. I think this doctrine of deliverance, this this reality of being delivered, isn't talked about enough in evangelicalism today. It's deliverance of this whole weirdness, this mystical stuff. You know, you see it in mysticism and all these charismatic kind of ideas, but it's it's a reality that Christ accomplished on the cross. And we're the benefactors of it. And so we don't need to to come under the temptation to hide from God. We just need to run to Christ. And we need to remember what He accomplished for us because Christ has paid for all our sins. Now, even with all of that, even with all of that, some of us are still asking, how do I get there? How do I get there? The answer is simple. It's faith. Trust God. That's what Paul says. You say, where? I don't, I don't see that here, even all the way down through verse 5. I don't see Paul saying, trust God by faith. He's certainly reminding us of what you said. Yes, he's reminding us of what Christ did, but I don't, I don't see faith. Where's that? You know what it is? It's in the final word. It's in the final word of his introduction here in the first five verses. Let me just read the whole thing. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, so that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. It's right there. It's right there in the word amen. You know what amen means? We say it all the time. Do we know what it means? It means, so be it. So be it. It's, it's almost like an exclamation point. It's almost like a, 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 defi- a divine... Uh, 
So let it be, so let it happen just as it's been said. In other words, God said it, that's it. Right? Now, what did God said? God, God said that Christ would come. God said that Christ would pay for sin. Christ, God said that He's the Messiah. And He came, He gave Himself for our sins so that He might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever. So let it be. God said it, that's it. In other words, trust what God said and what God has done and then act upon it. That's faith. In other words, stop disbelieving what God has said. That's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. Amen. So let it be. So let it rest there. So let that be the final deal. Stop disbelieving what God said. Listen, that's really what is happening with these Galatian believers. That's what's going on. That's why Paul is so amazed that they're quickly deserting him who called them. That's why Paul is shocked by all that he's seeing and hearing in them. That's what's happening. They're on the verge of disbelieving that salvation is by faith alone. They're on the verge of not finishing well. Life is hard. They still find sin active in their lives. They find it difficult to live righteously. They look around them. They see hypocrisy all over the place. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hypocrisy is all around them as they look not only at their own lives and they look in the mirror at themselves. They know they're not living exactly as they hoped and want. Their minds are asking themselves, maybe we missed something. Maybe salvation, maybe victory over sin is found in my own efforts before God. Maybe maybe God loves those who work really hard at being righteous. Maybe that's who God loves. Maybe salvation is Jesus and me. Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Run back to grace. Run back to grace. When you run back to grace, there you'll find the only one who can and did save. Back to grace, there you find Jesus Christ, who by means of His death and by means of His resurrection, resurrection rescued you from this present evil age. By running back to grace, you find the power according to the will of God and according to the effort of God so that God receives all the glory. And it's not about you. It's about what God is doing in and through you. Paul says, amen, let it be. He's just simply saying, have faith, believe the gospel. Believe the true gospel and rest in Christ's accomplishment." says, amen, there's no other way. There's no other way. We, we look for all kinds of other ways. We look for all kinds of magic silver bullets, easy ways, try things that won't take our own kind of brain power to do it. There's no other way. We need to run back to the gospel of grace. We cannot find grace any other way because by faith in God, we stand in grace. That's what the Bible says. We stand in grace So let us understand this. The first principle of the freedom and power to finish well 
is to go back to the gospel of grace. You want to finish well in life? Preach the gospel to yourself all the time. You want to finish well in your Christianity? Preach the gospel to yourself and internalize what it's saying in your own heart and mind and let it be. Let it be. And as you strive to live your Christian life, go back to that every day. Remind yourself all that God has freed you from Go to the cross. Understand that Christ has set you free from the bondage and power of sin. Walk by faith in Him and give God the glory. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. If, If salvation is all of God and none of us except for the sin that's necessary and needful to be forgiven, then all the honor belongs to Him, doesn't it? Everything belongs to Him. And if all the glory belongs to Him, then all we get is what we need most. And what is that? Grace upon grace upon grace. We stand in grace. But when we're tempted to redefine justification by our efforts, when we're tempted like the Galatian believers to turn around, go backwards, to redefine how it is we're saved, what we need is a good reminder of the gospel. good reminder of what the gospel teaches by what it has done and what it has delivered us from and that that gives us the freedom and power to finish well. That's what it does. That's what we need to be reminded of. That's where Paul starts. He's going to get into it pretty directly here in verse 6. We're going to see that next time. It gets pretty hot and heavy. And I think it'll be helpful for us as we think through our own life and the temptation to just forget grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this brief introduction into this wonderful epistle. I know sometimes we can look at it with I think an oversimplified view of what Paul is saying to the Galatians, and we think it's all about legalism and don't live legalistically and all of these kinds of things. And while that's surely somewhat of the implications of this entire book, you want us to live according to what you have already accomplished, not redefine what you've done not try to put sanctification and justification in its own little package and flip it on its head and define justification by our own efforts and work in which you're doing in our life through sanctification. Sometimes when we sin, we want to run there. We convince ourselves that you somehow must like us only when we obey. Certainly you chasten those whom you love. The Bible tells us But that ought to also tell us that while we may be chastened, we are indeed loved. And that is grace. So thank you for the gospel. Lord, help us to preach that to ourselves every day so that we indeed would finish well. Help us to have that solidified in our hearts so that we would just let it be. Let it be. And that we would live out what you have accomplished for us 
to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.